Hey everyone, Louis from Kick the Jukebox here. Just wanted to let you know that what you're listening to is the podcast version of Kick the Jukebox with shorter music clips. If you want to listen to the whole shebang, visit our show page at kpiss.fm. That's K-P-I-S-S dot F-M. Okay, thanks for listening and bombs away! Kick the Jukebox is so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox, kicking a rhyme, talking about music all the time. Oh yeah! Hello and welcome to another episode of Kick the Jukebox. I'm Louis Pullman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. And we have a very, very special guest in the today. My iPad just fell everywhere. This is all that happens here at KPIS. <laughs> my iPad falls. It's not KPIS's fault. It's my iPad's fault. Anyway, uh, we have a really special guest in the studio today. Uh, my dear, dear friend, Mike Malone. Let's give it up for Mike Malone! Hi, y'all. So, Mike is the best. <laughs> it's true. Mike and I have been friends since Mike heard me on the radio. Really? Uh, yeah, that's how we became friends. Yeah, this is actually something... On Chris Franz's show. I was on Chris Franz's radio show. And, uh, yeah, Mike, just have that mic just right in front of your face. Like this. Yeah, like sit in front of it. Sit in front of that mic, baby. We want to hear every piece of juicy info you have to share with us today. All the gossip. Yeah, all the goss. Yeah, we're going to definitely get some gossip here on this show today. Yeah, definitely. Who's sleeping with who in the world of 80s new wave music? <laughs> um, I'm not selling. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah don't, don't tell us that. I know that uh, Mike definitely knows about yeah. that stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. So, basically, um, Mike and I met because... Hold on. There we go. Just plugging my iPad back in. Mike and I basically met because Mike heard me on the radio and was like, oh, we have some shit in common. We should hang out. And now, cut to like eight years later, yeah, and we're like fun. wonderful friends. Yeah. And it's great. great. It's fun. And we go see lots of shows together, and it's the best, it's and it's so fun. Shout out to my mom who's listening. Whoa, whoa! Hi, Mrs. Perlman. Katie Perlman. Hi, Mrs. Perlman. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so let's start how we always start. Uh, which is diving deep into our inner demons. No, it's yeah. not. It's how are we all doing? What's been going on with everybody? Life is good. Life yeah. is good. Springtime. Yeah. Flowers. Yeah, it's uh, getting warm again. Um, I, uh, I, uh, well, we just came from, where did we just come from? Record People? shopping. WFMU oh. Record Fair. Yeah. yeah, we went to the WFMU Record Fair. went to every booth and just went to the country section because in New York it's always the smallest so I felt it was an easy place when you're surrounded by like tens of thousands of records it was uh it was it was my it was my way in but then I then I found some other good stuff got some nice I got Smokey Robinson four tops oh I love uh, it and then I got country I got the great this great uh Buck Owens live at uh Carnegie Hall, which is a really good album. Oh, fuck yeah. That's great. What did you get, Mike? I got the record store day release of Kate Pearson singing Venus. Awesome. And the whammy version that has Don't Worry on it by Yoko Ono. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Yoko Ono track. Why was it uh, deleted from whammy? That's complicated. Okay, (laughs) fine, fine, fine. We won't get into it now. We we won't get into it now. I bought a whole bunch of 60s uh, 45s. 
that were being sold by my friend uh, Andrew Sandoval, uh, who has a really great radio show I'd love to hype called Come to the Sunshine. And that's and, on WFMU. Yeah, it's right? on WFMU. Yeah. And we're going to take up our airtime here on KPIS to plug WFMU. Because <laughs> we're bad boys. Yeah. yeah we're, we're the bad boys of KPIS. We are. That's right. But yeah, uh, it was great. I found a whole bunch of like stuff I'm really looking forward to delving into. And I found a pink vinyl 70s Charo disco single. Ooh. Which is very Louie. Yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> there was a pink vinyl, you said? Yeah, it's on pink vinyl. Yeah, hoochie coochie coo. This this song is called Ole Ole. She had to switch it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That was when she briefly tried to rebrand from Coochie Coochie Coo to Ole Ole. It didn't yes. Last very long. And she was like, This is not my brand. That's a very bad charm impression. I love Charo. Yeah, yeah, Louis, Louis, yeah. Louis, Louis, uh, Louis uh, Charo is like a 55 year old dock worker. <laughs> this is not my brand. Coochie 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 Coo. No, I, I have a Charo. Uh, I, I need to hone in on her because she yeah. she's on the Pee Wee uh, Christmas special. Oh. And on that, I feel like she's like, Thank you, Pee Wee! I feel like there that's my is. Charo. Yeah. There she Thank is. Thank you, Pee Wee! Like, I need to like think about what she says on that to really hone in. But we're not here to talk about Charo, at least this Why episode. Not? I mean, maybe another episode. She's definitely within our purview, something we would cover. Yeah, let, let's do a whole... Uh, Charo, Charo LP, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got to cover one Charo LP. Well, you know, she was, uh, she or still is, she's still alive. She's a very good guitar player. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, as uh, someone who watched a lot of trash TV in uh, the mid-2000s uh, growing up, um, I uh, watched her on Surreal Life. Oh, on cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she played, like, guitar on that, yeah. and I was like, wow. <laughs> you know who loves Charo? Fred. Yeah. Fred. Oh, Fred Schneider? Yeah. There you go. It ties in with the theme of our episode, which is who? Cosmic Thing. Oh, yes. The uh, B 52s. By, by who was that? Oh, yeah. B-52s. By the B 52s. Right. Uh, we're very important to me and Mike. And, yeah. and you know, and, and Kyle likes them very much as well. Yeah, but I'm here to learn today. I love them very much, but I'm here to learn. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're going to learn a lot from Mike. So, you know, before we get into uh, our track of the week, uh, our tracks of the week. Follow us on social media. Kick the jukebox on Instagram uh, at KTJB Podcast on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook on Tumblr. We have all those things. We love hearing from our three fans that listen to the show. Mwah, oh, we yeah, love baby. you. <laughs> Big music kisses out there. And uh, Kyle, you just got got back from New Orleans, and you're a changed man. Yeah. Why? I, Tell us. Yeah, I'm. I'm I'm revitalized, um, and it was a lovely journey. I went with my girlfriend, and uh, I went with my girlfriend. And great to know you have one. That's <laughs> yeah. just great. Yeah. Good. Um, we're both we're both Jewish, but she's more uh, Jewish in terms of personality, and uh, <laughs> she. I think she was a bit overwhelmed. <laughs> Because we, we walked, we walked, uh, we walked, we got to the French Quarter, and, like, we had just, like, landed, like, half hour, an hour before, and as soon as we walk, uh, as soon as we walk into a French Quarter, uh, a kid playing the trumpet, bucket drums threw up all over himself. Oh, and Perry, and my God. He, I mean, I loved it, and Perry, Perry was like, where are we? <laughs> yeah, New Orleans really it was awesome, it feels man. very Wild Westy. 
I feel. Yeah, well, it's yeah. interesting. I mean, it's like, uh, it is like touristy, but we went in like at like an off, it wasn't like a, a peak period for people to go. So it was kind of fun because it was like, there were a lot of locals there and, and the, like the best, like, I mean, obviously there's so much incredible, like music and brass bands and, uh, the best like band we saw all week was like this group of high school kids like playing uh, just like on Frenchman Street, just rocking out with their tubas. I never heard more tubas in my whole life. Oh, God bless. <laughs> God bless. It was really fun. Um, but being down there was really, really awesome. And uh, I'm a fan of New Orleans music. I went to uh, Euclid Records, which is a great record store down there. Also Louisiana Music Factory. But I mentioned uh, Euclid Records because I picked up a... Uh, Great Professor Longhair album, uh, Crawfish Fiesta, one of the funniest album covers ever. It's this like old sixty-year-old like New Orleans blues, oh, New Orleans like uh, legend standing in front of a pic- uh, cartoon picture of a bunch of uh, crawfish dancing around. And it's uh, I recommend anyone who uh, can go check out that um, album and album cover. Good work navigating that. <laughs> The door opened to our trailer, broadcast trailer, and Kyle closed it and kept talking. Job, and you Kyle. never would have, and you never would have known. And also, I'm completely naked. But uh, also, um, <laughs> yeah, fortunately for us, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I picked up uh, that um, uh, Professor Longhair LP, um, and uh, but yeah, I, I love New Orleans music. And should we transition into the song of the week? Well, yeah, you. Um, you you you're bringing in a Dr. John track, yes. so in let's honor, talk about that. In honor of my recent trip to New Orleans, um, I I am a big fan of Dr. John. Anyone who knows anything about New Orleans music knows. Come on, people! It's Dr. Dr. Jonathan, uh, <laughs> and uh, but but I think it's it's become more well known maybe in the last few years. But his first album before Right Place Wrong Time was mm-hmm. like his big song, and it was kind of like. New Orleans mixed with like uh, Billy Preston style, like seventies, like yes. funky kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, but his first album, which was not as well known, is called Grigri, and he like it's really like a world building album because it's like um, very psychedelic, mm-hmm. um, sort of minimal in a kind of way, but like um, or or. Or it feels kind of um, there's a lot of space space on it, mm-hmm. uh, but there's definitely elements of like New Orleans jazz, but it's also like creepy New Orleans like witch voodoo swamp. Uh... Woo! <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that. But yeah, there's yeah. Someone blaring some reggaeton People outside do. of our. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're getting the. You get the, the sights, full. the sounds, the smells of Brooklyn. Bushwick, Bushwick, Bushwick Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Yeah. the home of baseball in America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad I've appropriated that joke from you. <laughs> anyway, yeah, but it's like it is. I, I, I this album feels like um, the as I was saying, like the Voodoo Priestess from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean two, but 50 <laughs> years before that. Um, and it's like really cool, really specific. They're real. They're, it, 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 I love like all genre mashing, like vibe blending kind of things. And when it works out well like this, like there is nothing that can re- really sounds like it because it's so 
just so specific and creepy and cool. And uh, I think we should listen to some of it, and then and we'll then we'll talk about it a little more after. But I think that. So this is uh, I Walk on Gilded Spirits. Splinters. Splinters, sorry. Blah, blah, blah. I Walk on Gilded Splinters. This is by Dr. John. Here it is. Let's see if this works. Woo! Some people think they jive me, but I know they must be crazy. Don't see their misfortune, else they just lazy. Just with a grand zombie, my yellow belt of choice on. Ain't afraid of no tomcat. Okay, oh my gosh, that was great. Apparently, you, according to my, my wonderful mother, uh, she says that she can hear us talking over over the music, so I'm going to try to fix that. Oh, I don't know what's going on with that, but I'm glad my mother's listening. So we just had a little conversation in the studio. It's nice. great. That's what we do. We're radio people. We talk over the music. Yeah. We talk over the music. It's a radio... <laughs> no music. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, uh, Kyle, so something I, I just want to say about this track is... Yeah. Uh, this is really all I have to offer on, on Dr. John is I like him a lot. I have a lot of respect for him. Uh-huh. I saw him play before he passed and yeah. Mike did too, right? I think he's still he's alive. alive. He's alive. What? I thought he died. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Dr. John's still alive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. Breaking news. Dr. Do- Dr. John is still <laughs> alive. You know why I'm getting mixed up? Cause I saw him the same night as I saw Dave Brubeck. And Dave Brubeck oh. has since departed his, this the astral plane or yeah. the, the ethereal plane. Yeah, I don't think Doctor John is playing live anymore, though. So oh, cool. so we are lucky that yeah. we got to see him. Yeah, and this sort of um, sort of gritty and uh, atmospheric uh-huh. uh, material of his. He certainly played some of it. Yeah, and the audience was like okay with it. Well, because it's but yeah, they didn't love it. Yeah. You know, and like they all got really excited for Right Place, Wrong Time, right. which is fine and is his big hit. But I really think this is where he shines, is this sort of work. Yeah, That's cause, all. Because yeah. he really loves uh, like New Orleans folklore. And um, and I think it is so such a specific like vision um, and such a specific uh, worldview and like energy that comes through not unlike uh the uh the band we're going to be talking about a little later oh. in terms of creating a very specific sound They're very similar yeah yeah they sound exactly very, the same well, no but no yeah eccentric yeah. and kind of bigger than life and, yeah definitely and off kilter yes absolutely and just like uh and a, a, a you know a, a sum is uh bigger than the or what some is greater than its parts type of thing in that like all their all these influences very disparate are coming in to create a really specific like world right you can imagine a whole like you can see the music like you can see like being on a creepy little swamp boat like on the you know the bayou bayou and but like with like uh you know creepy witch ladies coming out and cursing you and stuff and like uh it's very southern yeah, very southern, very New Orleans, and uh, yeah, but I think I think and and when this came out, um, that when this came out, it didn't do well at all, and I think that's why it sort of pushed him in a more like 
funky, poppier, accessible, more accessible direction, which is great, too. I love that stuff, too, and it is very unique, but, um, I mean, I could understand why it wouldn't do well for people to go in to see a Dr. John show, because, like, this is also, like, sort of meandering, and, like... Well, there's, a, like, a psychedelic element to it. Definitely. Yeah. Um, there aren't, like, uh, the choruses come in at weird places, it, he's jamming out with, uh, instruments drop off, and, he, you know, it's just, just bongos for, you know, a minute, um... And uh, he speaks in French a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's very culturally related to the area, right? Yes. And uh, it's uh, something that I think was great about him is he brought uh, a lot of that um, Creole culture to the masses, um, which is awesome. And we've talked about other artists on the show that can do that; they can sort of package it for a larger audience you know right. like i feel like this actually in some way similar like harry belafonte yes you definitely. Know, we talked definitely. about recently you know right. um yeah and and that definitely uh and this is definitely i think part of his process into being able figuring out how to do that and how to become a more uh commercially viable artist mm -hmm. right but in ultimately it's kind of better yeah yeah and this came out like 68 and it's funny because i mean for a first you know, release, and he did become a lot more commercially sort of accessible uh, as he went went along, but it's like, you know, it, it, it very, very infrequent. Well, what two things. One, you think of New Orleans and you think of, like, playful parades and very, uh, you know, you imagine the daytime, you know, like, uh, second-line bands and big brass bands having fun and... Um, he yeah, took that vision and, like, the underbelly of it, and, like, this album is supposed to creep you out. It's, like, really scary. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that doesn't... People don't, you know... It made people me... People aren't always ready for that. It made me the maddest when it was announced... Disney announced they were making Princess and the Frog, <laughs> and they weren't using him as the songwriter. Oh, I was yeah. like, Jesus. <laughs> and instead they got Randy Newman to do it, who's well, also a New Orleans dude. Yeah. But his stuff is so surface. Right. And, it, you know, any sort of project like that, you need to give it, you know, it, it would have lent it so much authenticity. And that mm -hmm. film plays really fast and loose, as mass culture does with voodoo practice. Mm -hmm. And that's a religion. Right. And he gets that. Totally. I mean, because, you know, because it's his life. Yeah. And that is, uh, you know, really important to remember that, you know, this isn't just some cartoony. Right. You thing. know, this is a real cultural, this is a real cultural world we're, we're looking into here, you totally. know, by, by exploring a song like this. Totally. Yeah. Totally. 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 Uh, well, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'm going to listen to that whole album when I get home. Yeah. Listen to it. It's, uh, it's really cool. It's really, really fucking cool. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks for bringing that in, Kyle. That was yeah, wonderful. Absolutely no problem whatsoever. Michael Malone. Hi. You brought in a song that we're going to talk about before we talk about the B-52s. Yes. Your song is called... Dead Beat Club. No, 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 no. Before that. Oh, Messenger, oh, oh, Messenger by Pylon, by Pylon, Pylon Yeah. Yes, Dead Beat Club by <laughs> Pylon Reenactment Societies. <laughs> no. <laughs> so why don't we give it a little bit of a listen and then we'll talk about why it's important to you. Yeah, sounds great. Okay, excellent. And hopefully we'll be able to turn off the mics properly this time. I don't know, honeys. I just don't know. Or maybe we'll just sit here in silence. Or we'll sit here in silence. Here we go. 
Okay, okay, so let's talk about uh, Pylon Reenactment Society and yeah. Pylon in general. So who are they? Why are they important? Tell us. Well, Pylon and the current incarnation of Pylon, the Reenactment Society, they fucking rule. They're badass. <laughs> They're amazing musicians. Um, also from Athens, Georgia. And like that whole um, music mythology of Athens is so um, key to my whole musical aesthetic. And mm. Pylon. I learned about them through listening to the bees and kind of brought me to them. So, uh, Vanessa's a badass, she's got a crazy ass voice, uh, just very powerful, a lot of fun, um, very, uh, kind of like funky and raw. Yeah. Yeah, very funky and raw. And the guitar lines in this are so yes. angular. So, Pylon was a band that had a member that passed away. Yes. And then Pylon Reenactment Society is the rest of the band members, correct? No. Oh, it's different people? No, 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 no. It's, okay, it's, tell me. It's new, um, musicians uh, Vanessa found um, through various relationships in Athens. Um, cool. I believe she's the only original member. Oh, interesting. Although I could be wrong. Oh, that's very cool, though. But, yeah, that's that's it. And, and, you know, it's interesting because it feels like they fill sort of this gap when it comes to their, um, when it comes to the their aesthetics compared to, like, R.E.M. or the B-52s. There's something very musically along the same lines, yeah. but there's a difference as well, right? For and sure. Just, just for listeners that don't know this, R.E.M., the B-52s, and Pylon yeah. are all bands from Athens from the late 70s, early 80s, yeah. and all had sort of a big dialogue going with each other. Right, and they all yeah, came on in like progression, like the Bs, and then Pylon, and then came R.E.M. Mm -hmm. They were kind of the last big band from... Athens, and and uh, one of the members of REM said in an interview that the greatest band in America, yes. and this was after Pylon had broken up, was Pylon. Was Pylon. Yeah. Mm. yeah, which is cool. Yes. Yeah, the, just kind of, uh, I think Pylon is a good segue to talk about the Athens scene more generally. And it kind of, in terms of timeline, but also the way you, I kind of look at it is sort of like, you know, when you think about the early, like, CBGB scene in New York, like, all those bands were part of the same scene, but um, only nominally and only insofar as they were, like, really allowed to do... They were listening to each other, and they could really do whatever the fuck they wanted, but, you know, sonically, you listen to the Ramones and Talking Heads and Blondie, they're all totally different corners in I think the same is true for like the the big yeah, Athens bands. Right. Yeah, it's the reason why they all got signed. Yeah. Uh, you know, in both of those examples, if uh, they had all sounded the same, right. only one of them would have been signed. Right. True. And that's sort of what makes the difference between sort of a a very cool, artistic, wonderful band and then other bands that are influenced by them and right. a scene right. where they're really uh, being influenced by each other and there's sort of a more holistic approach to what's going on. Yeah. You know? It was all kind of organic in Athens from what I understand. Everyone was just kind of playing to kind of play and have fun and be with their friends and then kind of just went from there. Yeah, you know, those sorts of um, environments are such a great incubator for art because it's not like cost of living in Athens was super high. You know, all the B-52s at least, they had like these blue collar jobs. But they, I don't think that their, their jobs took over their lives, and it allowed no. them to really explore their their art together in a playful and open and, and very forgiving way. Right. Yeah, as opposed to now, where everybody's working yeah. their ass off all the time, and then you play in a <laughs> yeah. band on the side, and, you, yeah. and your brain oozes out of your ears. Well, we're we're also talking, uh, 
you know, living in New York. Maybe if we lived in Athens right now, we could maybe afford to <laughs> not have to work so hard. Let's move to Athens. Hop in my Chrysler. It's as big as a whale, <laughs> and we'll drive down to Athens. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> let's go. So yeah, let's get out of here. Um. So let's talk, start talking more uh, specifically about the B fifty two. Should we segue? Let's do oh. it. Segway! This is a kick the jukebox segway. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so you know, this album, Cosmic Thing, just to give listeners a picture as to like what was going on at the time, Co- Cosmic Thing is uh, a mid-period slash late-period B-52s record. Yeah. The B-52s, uh, a few years earlier, had lost a absolutely instrumental member of their band, uh, Ricky Wilson, who uh, very sadly died of uh, AIDS-related complications. And uh, he was the one who used open tunings on his guitar to create this sort of like... I'll describe it as like a stoned-out, frightening and playful surf rock sound. Very angular. mm -hmm, Very angular, that the first few B-52s records have. Uh, But And then also, uh, regarding the band as well... Their last few records before this had been met pretty much by with disinterest from the crowd, you know, from from the crowd, from the from the record, <laughs> from listening, the from yeah. the record <laughs> listening public, and they're they're rather good records, but they sort of delved into um, using a lot of synth loops and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and it, I think that it sort of they maybe lost a little bit of their sense of what makes them them, and then this album was very different, very different. and you know came out uh, after Ricky's death, and Ricky doesn't play on it at all. It's the first record that they put together on their own without him, and it has this nice, like, lush, much more naturalistic sound to it. Uh, and it's become very special to a lot of people. So, magic. Mike, yeah, why, why, do you, why do you say that? Why do you think the album is magical for you? Uh, well, I mean, they broke when I was in junior high school, and it was like, you know the biggest album in the world for a while. And, you know, it started off small, with little, you know, Cosmic Thing was a, was a single first, and then the band toured the, you know, uh, the country, and then they and it turned the world. It was like, went from being really tiny to being this gigantic, crazy thing, and they had Don Was and Nile Rodgers, you know, produced the record, and they had... Um, yeah, d- just for our listeners, Don Was from Was or What or Not Was, and yes. Nile Rodgers of the Chic... Corporation. So it was like a collaboration that they really didn't have before. And, uh, and they had all session musicians, you know, Sarah Lee and... Um, From uh, Gang of Four, right? Yes. Sarah Lee? Yeah. They, Irwin, I think she's really important. Yeah. Ray Beats, and then they had Zach oh. Alford on drums. So it was, like, you know, this really amazing group of musicians in addition to the Bees. And it just had this party at, like aesthetic to it. Everyone wanted to listen to this album. It was just total fun. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a really fun record, but something that people don't think about a lot with the B-52s is that they actually had a lot to say while they were partying. Oh, for sure. And that's something that, you know, when I talk about the B-52s with friends that aren't familiar with them, they're just like, oh, the Love Shack band. Yeah. And I love the song Love Shack, and it's uh, on this record, and it really propelled them. But Love Shack, in my opinion, when it comes to Cosmic Thing, is the absolute tip of the iceberg. <laughs> You know, oh, yeah. there's so much going on on this album. I mean, every song is amazing on this album. It's it's just from start to end a great album. All the songs are different and unique, and 
they kind of have a similar feel to them, but they're all independently fun. It, it also has this sequence, and I want to talk about the sequence of the record first before we talk about the first track, because the whole first side is pretty much sort of a collection that's very um, wistful and nostalgic and is very biographic about sort of their lives growing up in Athens. You know, there's a song about Dry County, which is sort of... <laughs> The, you know, it's oh, you know, the opening of the record is the title track, and then it gets into Dry County, yes. which is you know, sort of like, and then they ramp up. You know, it's Deadbeat Club, which is very much about their lives growing up, and yeah. and then it's it's Love Shack, it's a party, um, and then it's Junebug, and that's when I think the album shifts into like a nature theme, and then it gets kind of heady with Channel Z, which we're going to talk about, um, but like. It's sort of contemplating the the nature theme. Is sort of contemplating uh, man's place within you know the world right. of nature, uh, and man's place within society with Channel Z. And then it like sort of takes off into the cosmic. And the last few tracks become like very metaphysical, psychedelic, a little more ambient well, and mellow. That was yeah. uh, Keith's. Um, uh, what's the word? Um, His influence. Influence was yeah, Keith uh, Joseph Campbell. From, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 so, yeah. I mean, it is. That's a quote of his, right? Yes. Yeah, that's a quote of Joseph Campbell's. And Keith Strickland is, from what I've heard, one of the most zenned out dudes in the history of the world. <laughs> so, you know, which I think is helpful. Hi, Keith. Hi, Keith. We know you're going to listen to this. So, now uh, we're going to listen to Deadbeat Club. Which Mike, you want to talk about? Yeah, we're gonna listen to it now off of later. a marbleized vinyl. Yeah, we're gonna listen to it now. Okay, we're gonna uh, play that beautiful, beautiful Deadbeat Club, and um, yeah, let's give it a let's give it a spin. Here it is. This is Deadbeat Club. Get a job. What for? I'm trying to think. Oh my gosh, that's Deadbeat Club. It's so pretty and nice. It's so lovely. So Are you still hearing it through the headphones, or is it yeah. out? No, we're good. Oh, we're out. Oh my gosh, I mixed it properly. I'm a little radio boy. Good job, boy. <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm a little radio guy. Um, So cool. We'll dance in the garden in torn sheets in the rain. Uh, I think it's absolutely one of the most uh, vivid and evocative lyrics it's in the so history dreamy, of pop music. It's so dreamy, because it's a so nostalgic but it's not uh it's not like cloying it's like really dreamy and fun it's wistful. And, yeah definitely you don't you want to live in that world but it does make you want to like it's still dancey and fun you know it's like yeah hard to match great melodies things. yeah yeah well, well that's something i think specifically about kate pearson and cindy wilson's intertwining vocals is there's always a twinge of wistfulness and I think yeah. it gives the music a lot more depth than just like another like '80s dance band, you know. I agree. Yeah. I mean, their their vocals are very unique, and they fit together in a very um, special way. It's yeah. Like they're no. Almost, they're like their vocals are almost like sisters. Mm. Yeah. Nobody else sounds like them. No. Nobody else in the Thank world. Thank God. Huh? <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and they couldn't if they tried. What a special thing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the theater company that Kyle and I are involved in, Story Pirates, I just did a song for them that's a B-52 sound-alike song. 
and the two women who were playing, um, you know, uh, the Kate and Cindy roles, they had, uh, you know, it was very challenging for them to even do a modicum of replication of what they sound like because there's such a uniqueness to them. You it's know? true. It's not hard to replicate their sound. Yeah, and it was hard for me to replicate Fred Schneider's vocals as well. I don't were you doing speaking. like a Fred Schneider? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do a really good Fred Schneider. Yeah. Well, I think this might be a good time to one mention. Um, so, Mike, what is your history with the band? Well, one, oh, I, I love them. <laughs> how many times have you seen them live? To many account, like probably between like eighty and ninety times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just a few. Just a few. Yeah. Just a few. Times. What makes you keep going back? I don't know. I just love them. Like they're just part of my soul. Yeah. They just spoke to me when this album came out. I knew of them beforehand from Rock Lobster and Private Idaho, and then this album came out when I was like thirteen, fourteen years old, and you know, at a very influential age. And just clicked with me. And then I literally went out and bought all their albums in one mm-hmm. day. And, oh. then, and then I listened to all their music, and then I went to see them live. And it's just a crazy, fun experience to see them in concert. It's kind of indescribable, unless you've been to one of their shows. And just their lyrics and their sound and their aesthetic, everything just speaks to me. Yeah, they they rock live. They're one of the best tight live bands ever, in my opinion. You yeah. know, uh, they're so smart live, and they really know how to make a crowd dance. Yes, for uh, sure. Yeah, um, and it's it's like something about it too is it really feels with them. It's almost as similar to I think the way people, why people love jam bands so much, like that group of people, is that there feels there's a community atmosphere to a B fifty two show. For sure, is a community. Yeah. Why do you think that is? How do you think that happened well, around them? It's probably like part of it is like being an outsider. Like, you know, it's being different and the bees are identifying very early as being different and it's okay to be different. Before there was like safe spaces and all this kind of lingo was, you know, you would go there and they always said to uh, fly your freak flag as high as you can. And if you identified with that, you know, you normally would go to one of their shows and then you'd make friends there. I've met so many friends to their shows. And learned of other music and other, you know, off kilter. I don't. I don't want to say weird, but like that's the wrong word. But like different things. Off the beaten path. Off the beaten path yep. for sure. And yeah. just as you know, um, it's been a really great experience. It's been like I don't know, thirty years of going to see them live. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a long time. And that's something you mentioned, which is so pivotal too, is that they're identity was they brought a very different queer identity into the mainstream um, at a time when that was I mean they were early really early right but they were they were sort of it um, was kind of it like, was under it was all it was a lot of subtext yes it was never yeah. really said till later but I mean it was queer but not queer so like it was known but not known but we right. but, but we knew yes yeah but even that aesthetic and that um like uh, like just being the vibe yeah right yes. like that and bringing that making that mainstream is for sure yeah oh yeah it's it's well they something i've been talking about about them a lot lately is they came of age in the era of of television and I the think, band? yes, no, not the band television. <laughs> no, I think that they, 
I think that they are one of the first really like cultural synthesis bands in that their sound is not only a mix of musical influences, but it's also really a mix of like sci-fi soundtracks mm -hmm. and beach party soundtracks. That was their whole aesthetic. That's yeah. right. right. And um and Camp. and it was yeah, it was totally. it was camp, but it was sort of was and like very postmodern in that way. Yeah, very postmodern. It was sort of like I call it like you know, Ur Camp. It's like it's <laughs> like camp that all of a sudden it comes out the other side and, and the camp becomes uh, transcendent. You know what I mean? It's not just frivolous. Right? No, not it's, frivolous it's, it's, at all. It's the way they perceive the world. Right. Yeah, you know, now I think that's why I love them so much. I think they, uh, I think they process a lot of culture in the same way that I, I always have, you know? Yeah, I mean, they're a tongue-in-cheek band, but also serious. It's not like it's, you know, people always discount them as being like a, th a throwaway band or a one-hit wonder. Novelty. Novelty, and it's so the opposite. Yeah. yeah, it's so wrong. It's it's like, but in certain ways, the fact that they uh, feel, uh, these people feel like it's novelty and don't investigate, right. it just means more for us. More, you know, in some certain ways, it's like, I do wish everybody was listening to B-52s, but it does make a fan's relationship with them really special. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And on that note, let's listen to our next song. And I'm going to knock over the mic. I'm just crawling all over the mm -hmm. chords today. Kyle's like, Louie, what are you doing? That's Kyle's. That's Kyle yeah. right now. Yeah, I'm grimacing. Yes, Kyle she is Grimace. Kyle is Grimace <laughs> from McDonald Land. Yeah. So we're going to listen to Channel Z, which is uh, our pick, Louie and Kyle's pick. And the reason why we're going to listen to it... Uh, is because this is sort of, I would argue, this is the headiest song on the record. Totally. And the one that's the most infused with, like, late 80s political yeah. paranoia. But we're going to talk about it. Activism. Yeah, activism. Activism. Don't let it rest on the president's desk. Rock the house. No. Different song. I am living on Channel Z. Okay, that is Channel Z by the Everlovin' B-52s! Woo! Static. <laughs> so, one, one thing I love about this song is that it's a funk song, which oh, is yeah. great. I mean, it's got this killer rhythm guitar part that's a Keith Strickland part, which is so good. Right? He played that, right, Mike? Uh, I think so. I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> um, which is awesome. Um, yeah, and, and like... Yeah, the guitar is so driving... But while it, while being incorporated well into like these sort of sweeping synths, that, yeah, you know, yeah, which which definitely modernize it for the time. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's it is very of its time, but it's also uh, it's still so, so fun to listen to now. Oh yeah, it's still relevant to now. Yeah, yeah, totally, and yeah. which is very a, a sad and kind of so, a beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah, but they they were a very politically conscious band, yes. and during this period, they had sign up booths for PETA, Greenpeace, Greenpeace, and what was the other one uh, in their lobbies? Right, PETA, yeah. Greenpeace, um, and another one too. Any, but yeah, they were yeah. very involved in the environment and social causes. Vegetarianism. Yes. Fred Schneider's still a, a vegan. 
right? Yes, he's I think still so. vegan. Yeah, he's vegan. I think. Well, that I party think, we were at with him, he had a veggie burger. Yeah. <laughs> Kate's vegan too. I think I don't know about everybody else. Yeah, but it's pretty cool. Uh, for and something that Kate says in an, uh, I read for to prep for this uh, a really great Rolling Stone article from when this album came out. And something that Kate says is she said protesting should be fun. Uh, she said she couldn't wait to grow up and start protesting when she was a girl. And she grew up during the era of, right. you know, of, of, the, of the tumultuous 60s. But that's something that they, um, something that they illustrate so well is that, you know, maybe it's a life well lived that's very satisfying if you're standing up for what you believe in. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's... I the, think that they, they also kind of like called me... You know, I wasn't out in the streets protesting when I was a junior high school kid, but they kind of like helped me see the world in a certain way and motivate me to, you know, do my part and all of our part to help out. Yeah. Especially in regards to the planet. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. In regards to the environment, which has only gotten worse since they recorded that record. And the politicians, know? too. <laughs> They've gotten worse. Yeah, too. they really <laughs> have gotten worse, you know, absolutely. When, um, it's interesting, you know, when this was recorded, Reagan was president, right? It was, was uh, Bush. 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 It was Bush, yeah, it was Bush sorry. Bush. When this was recorded, McKinley was president. <laughs> so, and... Um, but I think that's interesting to mention because them being politically active at this time, we think of now it seems so everyone's political. We live in a very, an exceptionally political time. Everything is politicized, but... 1989 was really a period of a lot of political complacency. And, in, and mm. another great Fred Schneider quote, um, I forget where he's from, he was like, when the headlines is like, whether the, or not the president can catch a fish, like yeah. we need to, you know, and that's what was going on at the time. It's like the economy was doing well. Mm -hmm. There was this sort of conservative consensus in the mainstream culture. Mm -hmm. So it was not obvious that a big pop band would be political, actually it would be extremely rare, so it's even more unusual and cooler that they were having something to say at that time, because it was not, definitely not obvious. Yeah, there's there's so many layers to their personas that I think contribute to those feelings. There's an earthiness to them, they, you know, lived all together in a house in Woodstock yeah. to record some of their records. So there's sort of this communal hippie vibe to them, but then there's yeah. also this like day glow, almost nuclear space age. Yeah, outer right. space. And I've yeah. kind of always imagined them as coming down off of their you know fuchsia spaceship to like show us the way things should actually be in the world. Yeah, they're like Mars attacks, like yeah, but in a nice <laughs> they way. They had a fuchsia UFO. Huh? They had a fuchsia UFO. It was the same really symbol of the fan club. Really? Yeah. I didn't even Tim, know that. Tim helped. It. Well, with Super too. Oh, our yes, friend Sue Tim Hurley, yeah. who was the president of the Bees fan club for a while. Not the president, no. Yes, he was. He was the president the of Aterius. Oh, the queen. <laughs> right, the queen of the Bees fan club. That's fine. Shout out to Tim Hurley, which I'm who I'm sure will listen to this. Oh, man. So, you know, we only have about 11 minutes left. So Is that it? I know. It goes by fast, wow. right? Yeah. It flies. We always have a lot to now talk about do? in an hour. Mm -hmm. Well, we have one more song to talk about. Oh. So we're not going to um, spend 10 minutes on Love Shack because it's just so ubiquitous, but it's so kind of... And no one's ever even heard of that song anyway, <laughs> so no one cares. <laughs> but it is miraculous that it became part of the culture mm -hmm. in that way. It's very Americana now. Yeah, it really it's is. become American. Yeah, I feel like I first heard it at like bar mitzvahs. Yes, and stuff. it's a wedding bar mitzvah party song. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, which is so cool. But we're going to talk about Rome, which oh, well. was the the uh, the third single from the record, or the second? Yes, no, the third. Oh uh, yeah, because the first single was Love Shack. The second single was um, was Channel Z, and then the third was Rome. It was Rome, yeah, yeah. And Rome is gorgeous. So uh, that's exactly. It is a beautiful city in, in Italy. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just gorgeous, and it's um huge. It's the song? Yeah. Yep, the song is a real credo for how to live your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've... Th- I often think about epitaphs for me on my tombstone. <laughs> and definitely one of the ones... Hey, Louis, are you... Are you okay? Huh? Are you okay? Yes, I just <laughs> love thinking... <laughs> this is a real thing about me. I love thinking about when I'm gonna die and, like, what, like, the show's gonna be like. like what, like, what, like, the funeral party's gonna be We'll like. give you a good show. Totally, yeah. I know. Um... You know, and like, you know, what's going to be, I'm going to control all of it from beyond the grave through my will. (laughs) But definitely uh, my number one epitaph that I think really I want is from Rocky Horror and it's Hot Patootie, Bless My Soul. I really love that rock and roll, which I think (laughs) describes me to a T. But definitely one of the ones I thought about is, you know, roam if you want to, roam around the world, roam if you want to without anything but the love you feel. Which, what a fucking gorgeous credo. You're right. Maybe it should just be, uh, you know, just roam roam around the world (laughs) with anything but the love you feel. But does it get any any, uh, smarter than that in terms of a a way to live your life? It's pretty good. Yeah, you know, you travel around the world just using the power of love. Yes. How gorgeous is that? And this was written by Robert Waldrop. Yes. Who the lyrics? Who's lyrics, yeah. a friend of theirs, old school friend of theirs, who I think mainly has a poetry background, right, Mike? Is that mm-hmm. right? I don't know. Yeah, I know. I know. No, no, it's okay. He's <laughs> no, he's mysterious. He wrote this for them. He wrote uh, Revolution Earth for them. He wrote something on an earlier record, I think. No, is no, that I think it? So. Yeah, but I know that he is an Athens dude. Yeah. But other than that, I did try to do research on him for this. I can't He's really. Not even on Facebook. No, he. I don't really know who he is. <laughs> or Mike would know. That. I would know. Or they maybe. don't. They don't. Um. They don't talk about him a lot in interviews. But he wrote one of their most beautiful songs. So thank you, Robert. Woo-hoo. Yeah. All right, and on that note. We'll, uh, well, yeah, yeah. You know what? Let's let's hit let's hit play. A little bit. Yeah, you know what? Let's play through all of Rome. Because okay. I think this has been great. Yeah. Is there anything else is this we want to buy? Yeah, I think this might be our goodbye. Oh. So before we play Rome. Is there anything else you want to talk about about this band or about this record? No. Thank Any- you to Fred and Cindy and Keith and Ricky and mm-hmm. everyone else involved with the band. Yeah. Kate. yeah. Kate. Did I say Kate? <laughs> oh, sorry. You missed Kate. <laughs> no thanks to no, Kate, Kate Pearson. Happy birthday yesterday. No. Happy I, birthday, Kate. Happy birthday, Kate. Happy birthday, Kate. 71. Yeah. 71 years young. Yeah. 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 I mean, I just want to say, like, for me... If there's one band that has taught me how to live uh, a honest and uh, beautiful life, I aspire, I aspire to live up to what the B-52s are singing on, on their songs and specifically on this record. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Amen, brother. Thank you. Thanks, thank you, Macho Man. man. <laughs> um, yeah, and there's, there's one other um, line on this record... Uh, from the song Topaz, which is the last lyrical song, where Fred sings, um, our hearts are traveling faster, or faster than the speed of speed love. Speed of love. Which, like, once again, you know, what a gorgeous credo to live by. 
Um, and on that note, here's Rome. Uh, it's a gorgeous B-52s song hip that we all love. Hip to hip, rock it through the wilderness. <laughs> Talking about music all the time. Oh, yeah!